0: Geico presents sharing versus oversharing. Yesterday, Cliff
1: Sora shared a top 10 list of hot fusion restaurants, a vegan gluten-free mashup recipe, and a podcast featuring organic food trends. Oh, T-M-I-I, too much internet information. That's oversharing. Cliff, Geico has something worth sharing with your friends. Like how on Geico.com you could save hundreds on your car insurance, update your policy, and report a claim. Gluten-free info that's easy to swallow. Mm-hmm. Geico, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car
0: insurance.
2: Welcome to the RotoWire Fantasy Football Podcast, brought to you by DraftKings.com, the leader in daily fantasy sports. Use the promo code RotoWire when you deposit for a free contest entry today. It is Monday, August 24th. Nick Whalen here with Derek Van Riper. We're going to be discussing all the action from week two of the preseason. Um, big injury, obviously, to Jordy Nelson of the Green Bay Packers. That's probably the biggest news. We'll get into that. Um, the first, Derek, how was your weekend?
1: You know it was pretty good Nick I, I went to this place it's called the Vilas Zoo. It's the only zoo here in Madison. Uh, the kicker is that it's free, which is pretty awesome, uh, but as you would expect with a free zoo, their animal limitations are are very apparent at times, but still for uh, an afternoon it was just, nice, just a nice day outside. I just wanted to do something outside it didn't really cost a lot of money, and that was what I, I landed on. Um, it made me wonder, you know like zoos are a weird thing like who thought? creating a zoo was a good idea like who, who's originally the guy that was like you know what let's get these animals from africa and all over the world and haul them across the the globe and just put them in these pens and let people stare at them
2: it is a good idea though i mean it worked right got, you have zoos all over the country <laughs> they I mean, are it, everywhere it's very interesting especially you know for the under 10 demographic i've been to the henry Vilas zoo a couple times and it always you know it's the place to go i would imagine for a, a cheap place to take your kids on a saturday oh I was for a big, sure. Big fan of the otter exhibit. Um, I think they just recently put in a polar bear exhibit too. I haven't had a chance to check that out, but did, were you able to?
1: Got to see the polar bear. Huge, uh, huge. Yeah, yeah. He was he was in a good mood. Uh, yeah, the, the most angry animals I felt were the lion. Um, there was a, a, a dad picking up what looked like about a four year old and kind of like dangling the four year old like up by the the window or the the fence area for where the lion was, and the lion looked pretty irritated. Like, hey. Like,
2: I can is, see why he might be ears.
1: This is bad parenting. Like the lion knew that was bad parenting. You could see it in his face. Uh, the orangutans looked a little upset too. They they just, I don't know, they just seem like they want so much more space. The one we were looking at, uh, he he had like a torn up kiddie pool in there. I'm not really sure what the purpose of that was. Uh, and he had, had a lid for a garbage can and he, he looked at everybody, was climbing around for a minute, climbed down to where his pile of, of plastic was and then just kind of like, covered himself like laying on the ground just to not be seen so uh, kind of a rough day for the lion Mm -hmm. and the orangutan but uh, a good experience overall at the zoo as long as you don't spend too much time thinking about the mechanics of why these animals are, are there as opposed to just being out in the wild.
2: I actually wrote a story about uh, a zookeeper in college for a a class. We had to interview, like, somebody who had an odd job in Madison. I was like, that's a pretty odd job. That qualifies. And it it was fairly interesting. Everything went well with that. But the one thing that I thought was most interesting was they actually keep the animals there year-round. And, obviously, in Madison, it gets very cold and snowy. So they have all these African animals that just hang out in Madison. I figured they would, like, ship them across the country or something (laughs) for a couple months. And, like, the zookeeper was, like, offended that I would ask that. He's like, no, no, God, of course we keep them here. I'm like, Where do you keep them? Like, do they have? Is the zoo even open in the winter? I have a lot of questions.
1: I think they have limited hours or something in the winter, but yeah, a giraffe. I mean, yeah, a giraffe just chilling out there in December is kind of odd.
2: It is. It is. So I don't know. Maybe that's something I should have asked him when I was when I was writing the story. But a lot of interesting dynamics going on at the zoo. I had a pretty good weekend myself. I didn't make it to the zoo. I I was there earlier this summer. Um, I did talk to a guy. I was wearing a jaguar's hat at a local watering hole uh, called Chasers. and I was approached <laughs> by, a, by a man who was like, oh, are you a Jaguars fan? And this never, ever happens around here. And I was like, I, of course I am, yeah. And he was like, oh, yeah, I'm not wearing anything, but I actually have a Josh Scobie jersey at home. So, Oh, he wasn't wearing it, though. He wasn't wearing it, which is crazy. I mean, you're going out on a Saturday night. Um,
1: the chasers, no less. That, cha- that's a place where you wear a Josh Scobie jersey. For, right, those, is- for those who are not familiar with this place, which is going to be 99.9% of the listening audience, mm-hmm. If you had a Josh Scoby jersey, this is the place in this city to wear it.
2: Right, exactly. And maybe he didn't want, you know, girls all over him all night and things like that. That's always an issue when you wear something like that. But yeah, I just thought, I mean, I've I've been struggling for years. I have a Mark Brunel Jaguars jersey as a Jags fan, and then and I've basically since I bought that jersey in like fourth grade, there hasn't been a player who's like, I've been comfortable jersey buying. You know, Jones Drew got close for a while, then all of a sudden he retired. And I don't know. I mean, Scobie's a safe choice. He's the longest tenured player on the team by far at this point.
1: Franchise points leader, too. Exactly. And uh, interesting that you mentioned that not wearing the jersey would be a good way to, to keep from having like, too many girls come talk to you. Uh, I have a, a friend, actually, who went to college in Florida, and her favorite Jaguar is Josh Scobie. Well, so uh, so. It, it, it holds up. Like it, it, it definitely checks out.
2: It does. It does. All right, let's get into some of the top news for the day. Before we do that, just a reminder, the podcast is available for subscription on both iTunes and Stitcher. You can also stream it from rotowire.com slash podcast. If you're listening on either iTunes or Stitcher, please be sure to leave us a nice review. Um, Jordy Nelson, I'll, I'll just let you go on this for now. And I know most of us you know, up here in Madison and around Wisconsin probably might have stronger feelings about this. Um, you know just I mean what are you, what are your thoughts I guess
1: well I'm going to weep uh, later today when it becomes completely official but I think based on all the reports uh, a torn ACL is what Nelson suffered uh, in that game against the Steelers that that meaningless game against the Steelers I might add the the meaningless game in which season ticket holders paid regular season prices to attend uh, I might add and, and look this is this is one of those things where if you think about all the different ways the league has gradually because of the players union Uh, scaled back on the potential wear and tear on players. This is the one area they have not caved in yet. I have to think we're getting closer to the point where a two-game preseason happens. I don't think they'd ever get rid of it completely. I wouldn't mind if they got rid of it completely. Even if that came at the expense of the quality of Week 1, I'd be okay with that. But as the Packers go, there's a lot that, that changes here. I mean... Devontae Adams immediately takes a huge vault up in the rankings, probably goes from a guy who's in that 35 to 40 range among receivers, uh, so like a top 20 status in some places. I'm curious to see just how much his ADP jumps up, because he would seemingly just fill the role that Nelson vacated, uh, and that's going to open up spots behind him too, but just how much are you willing to upgrade Devontae Adams based on this news? Does he become a top 20 guy for you? Does he go ahead of like a Tory Smith or a Steve Smith, some of those guys that uh, have higher floors, perhaps, but certainly much lower ceilings.
2: He was going in the range of those Tory Smith, Steve Smith guys. Just checked the NFFC ADP this morning, and he was forty fourth. So, got, you know, on average, going around the you know the one hundred to one hundred and ten uh, range overall, and. Yeah, I think he's got to jump up at least into the top 30 right now. I mean, I think he was a guy that was kind of pegged as a breakout candidate by a lot of guys, even if Nelson was healthy. And now with Nelson out of the picture, I think he he steps in as the de facto number two to Randall Cobb. Cobb obviously being a little bit of a smaller guy, probably best suited for the slot in most formations. Um, so you almost, you almost have to wonder if it'll kind of be a 1-1-A thing. And obviously Cobb's a more experienced guy. He's, he's the guy that is going to be the safer pick. But I mean, Adams is going to see his target skyrocket. And you also have to look at guys like Jeff Janis and Ty Montgomery. Um, and it's it's the Packers. So, obviously, losing Jordy Nelson is a, is a huge blow to this offense. But, you know, Aaron Rodgers is lucky enough to have guys like Devontae Adams that, that would be a very good number one or two for a lot of teams. Um, so, you know, it's just kind of a next-man-up philosophy. Like I said, this is a tough blow. But I, I think the Packers will still recover.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think they're ultimately still going to be one of the better offenses in the league. It, it's more about... Aaron Rodgers being perhaps the best quarterback of the last 15 or 20 years. I mean, he's certainly got a, a claim to that title, uh, but thinking about where Adams is going to go and trying to compare him to some other similar players, maybe Martavis Bryant. If you look at his ADP, I think he's right around 60 right now, 28th among wide receivers. I think you have two players with similar profiles and that they both seem to possess very high upside. They have a varying amounts of uncertainty. Maybe Bryant even has a higher ceiling than Adams because physically He's even more imposing to deal with. But I think with Adams, you see a safer supply of targets. I think if I'm choosing between the two right now, I would take Devontae Adams ahead of Martavis Bryant. But I say that with the disclaimer that I think I've been a little bit more bearish on Martavis Bryant than the market. I think I look at Martavis Bryant and I I see a guy that, while he flashes that big playability and he could be dominant in the red zone, Marcus Wheaton, to me, isn't just going to completely go away. I think some of the targets that Bryant would get, are going to go to a guy like Wheaton who can do some different things.
2: Yeah, that's a really good comparison. I mean, two guys who kind of broke out in limited uh, action last season. And Martavis Bryant only played in 10 games, but had eight touchdowns in those games. So you know, if you're putting a lot of stock in Martavis Bryant, you're, you're kind of betting on somewhat of an unknown commodity. And the same could be said for Adams. You know, He played a full season but wasn't really integrated into the offense until probably weeks three and four. Uh, a couple big games, but a couple games where he just kind of disappeared as well. And that's to be expected from a guy who is a rookie. But yeah, like you said, Marcus Wheaton's not going to disappear for Pittsburgh. Uh, I think Devontae Adams probably has a little bit of a clearer... Uh, path I guess to being a, a solidified number one or two for Green Bay like like you said Martavis Bryant might kind of fluctuate between the two and three
1: yeah with Antonio Brown being such a target monster too I think that's always going to be a limiting factor as long as he stays healthy because even last season his teams knew that the Steelers wanted to lean heavily on Brown they really couldn't find a way uh, to stop him so and I think that's going to be one thing to keep a really close eye on is just how much the price goes up but I think that's about the price I'm willing to pay maybe it depends on what i've got in my roster already format could be a factor like in a ppr league he's probably still devon adams is probably still behind guys like jeremy Maclin and brandon marshall but i think in a non-ppr setting the chance for eight plus tds for adams probably bumps him ahead of a couple guys like that Probably take him over jarvis landry in a non-ppr setting too i think once you get to the amari cooper sammy watkins duo kind of at the back of the top 50 that becomes a little more debatable. Although if you're thinking about the offenses, like you expect the Green Bay offense to be so much better than the offense in Oakland and Buffalo. I think gun to head during the draft, which I don't want to be in a draft where someone has a gun to my head, but sometimes that, that happens. You get into the wrong neighborhood and decide to have a draft. Maybe, maybe you make that case where you take Adams on the fly ahead of Cooper and Watkins in redraft leagues.
2: Right, I think the the downside is fairly low at this point, you know. And unless Adams gets injured, he's the targets are going to be there. Like you said, the, he's playing in probably the best passing offense in the league, definitely in the NFC. Um, yeah, it, it's it's not it's not going to be a situation where we see this offense completely just you know forget how to move the ball now that Jordy Nelson's not there, and he was such a huge part of what they were able to do last season. But when he was out of the out of the offense, I think he missed three or four games last year with a hamstring injury they were just fine. Like Aaron Rodgers averaged over 250 yards passing, two touchdowns per game. So, I mean, you mentioned that Aaron Rodgers is the best quarterback in the league. I think at this point, that's you know, almost a given and that's much more important than who you have catching the ball and that's no knock on Jordy Nelson but if Aaron Rodgers is throwing the ball it doesn't necessarily matter who's on the receiving end
1: right you think about the the year the first year they played without Greg Jennings too they kind of moved on without really missing a beat that's just sort of the way this team is built I mean Ted Thompson the front office and the scouting department have done such a good job over the years of making sure they've got quality depth you think about a guy like Charles Johnson he was a Packers cast off who went through Cleveland before he got to Minnesota. I mean, guys like that have been kind of roster casualties because of the amount of depth they've been able to build in recent years. Uh, you look at a guy like Cobb, though, now. Now, how much does he move up? Can he take Nelson's place on the ADP list? Because if you look at the top five receivers in, in terms of ADP for NFFC, it's been Antonio Brown. It's been Beckham, Julio Jones, Des Bryant, and Demarius Thomas, usually in that order. A small tier break. And then Jordy Nelson has often been that sixth receiver off the board. Does Randall Cobb pass A.J. Green and Calvin Johnson in terms of uh, his actual ADP, or does he just kind of stay in that spot and everybody just moves up one?
2: I think he just kind of stays in that spot. I mean, you talk about the guys that are above him right now Calvin Johnson, A.J. Green. I mean, what I don't know what kind of production Randall Cobb would have to have to really surpass both of those guys who are unquestioned number ones for pretty good teams. And, you know, like I said, he does a lot of his work out of the slot. Obviously, he gives you. Maybe they mix him in in the backfield like they did toward the end of last season. So there's that. That's kind of a little bonus, but not really something you can depend on. Um, I think he kind of stays where he is, and that's a, a little bit of a product of you know him not maybe having the the high volume of, of deep ball targets that could produce those long touchdowns that we saw from Jordy Nelson so often last year, and just the guys above him being that good. Yeah, I don't. I don't think you would. put, I mean, Randall Cobb is, is a very good receiver. He's very close to that top tier, but. I think there is a clear separation between those five guys you mentioned, and then even Calvin Johnson and A.J. Green. So you, know, you take Jordy Nelson off that list, you figure Calvin Johnson moves up to six, A.J. Green seven, and I think you know Randall Cobb, Elshon Jeffrey are right there at eight and nine.
1: It's amazing, though, because you're talking about 151 Aaron Rodgers targets from a year ago now having to go to somebody else. That includes 28 inside the red zone. So when you start thinking about how those are all going to be distributed, Adams probably doesn't get – all of them. He probably gets seventy to seventy-five percent at the high end, and it could be less than that. Where you know a guy like Richard Rodgers could emerge as the red zone threat that they've really uh, kind of missed since James Jones left via free agency. That's the kind of guy too. Where I mean, I don't, he's with the Giants right now, and he's kind of buried in their depth chart. I have to wonder if they'd go after a familiar face like that via trade if it's possible. Ted Thompson's always so reluctant to flip draft picks, but if you could get James Jones back for a fourth round pick or a fifth round pick right now. I think you'd have to consider it. Uh, you look at the other receivers, Jeff Janis, Ty Montgomery, the rookie out of Stanford. We talked about him maybe a week or so ago. He's going to make an impact in the return game, but I have to wonder if this is a good thing for Ty Montgomery over the course of the season. Maybe a guy that, you know, once you get to the middle of the year, he sort of, he sort of overtakes Janis as that third receiver, assuming they don't bring in somebody else.
2: Yeah, I think this is going to be huge for Ty Montgomery. Jeff Janis was the guy who kind of stepped in and worked in Nelson's place for a couple snaps um, after Nelson left the game on Sunday, Obviously, it's just week two of the preseason, so we're not sure how that's going to end up shaking out. But I think Montgomery probably stands the most to gain. We talked a little bit before the podcast that, you know, watching him at Stanford over the last couple years, he was nicked up. He did, you know, most of the highlights you'd see of him were on special teams. And, you know, we kind of both were unaware of how how big he is, how physical he is, and how much of a receiving presence he can be. So, yeah, I think I don't know if he maybe takes the – you know, takes the step and becomes you know the next Devonte Adams, and you know, kind of waiting in line for for his turn to get targets. But I think he definitely has higher upside than Janice just because he's such a freak athlete.
1: Yeah, I think he might be that James Jones type player for them because of his size. I mean, he may end up being the guy that Rogers develops some rapport with in close. That that's kind of the role that that Jones thrived in. Uh, and you're talking about another Pac-12 prospect who uh, is just coming in with with minimal fanfare but a ton of tools i think that just is something to really watch closely as the rest of this preseason unfold and as the early season begins how many snaps do the packers give Ty montgomery on the offensive side of the ball and can he be more than a special teams contributor because i think jeff janice to me is more of just a filler uh, i mean the, maybe the packers go after a guy like reggie wayne who's visiting the patriots for a physical uh, randy moss indicating he's not ready to hang it up just yet i'm, I'm with i'm strongly
2: pr- indicating that he's not ready to hang it up
1: yeah i mean he, he will i guess or not that he, he hasn't hung it up for good he's, he's been been kind of uh enjoying broadcasting life over the last few seasons you go back to when we last saw randy moss it was 2012 with the niners not a great passing attack that year a uh, pretty low volume guy i think he had like 28 catches in 16 games but the per target efficiency was good you pair him with Aaron Rodgers, if there's still something left in the tank, maybe you make him your fourth receiver. At least something that'd be interesting.
2: Yes, that's the thing. There's probably a case to be made that he's not the best option out there from a pure football perspective, but just the narrative of having Randy Moss in Green Bay, a place that he's kind of hinted at in the past that he wanted to play. I think a lot of that had to do with Brett Favre. Um, And then just such a controversial figure, you know, around the NFC North and Obviously, he has a lot of history as a member of the Vikings going up against Green Bay. So, I mean, it would be a fun storyline, that's for sure. Um, you know, it's just a matter of whether the Packers are willing to kind of accept the mini circus that would come with that signing.
1: Do you think if if this, this long shot, Randy Moss, comes back and signs at the Packers and hangs around to be their third or fourth receiver, if that unfolds, inevitably, Fox rolls back the highlight of Randy Moss dropping the fake moon on the Lambeau Field faithful, does Joe Buck, if he's calling the game that day, does he react with the same vigor and just absolute displeasure with Moss's behavior? Does, does, he, does he continue that, or has he realized that, you know, faking a mooning is really not that offensive?
2: Right, and wasn't he fined $10,000 for that? Like, the NFL should just be counting their lucky stars that he didn't actually moon the crowd. <laughs> I mean, seriously, a fake mooning, like $10,000. It's nothing. Yeah, exactly. I don't. I don't know. I mean, I think Joe Buck. You'd like to think you'd have gotten over it. It's been what ten years now.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm a Packer fan. I, don't, I wasn't offended, or it's like if guys score, they should be able to do pretty much anything they want. Yeah. I mean, I understand that the NFL has a vested interest in players like not grabbing the crotch after a touchdown. Fine. Okay. You have you have you have a lewd conduct limitation, but pretending to take your pants off is actually not offensive.
2: Right. There was a great era of. Post touchdown celebrations from probably about '03 through '07 before the NFL really started cracking down. Where Ocho Cinco, I, I think he brought out the Hall of Fame question mark question mark jacket after scoring. I'm sure we all remember Joe Horn hiding the cell phone under the <laughs> under I don't even know what that it, was a, it was a goalpost pad, pad. I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And then the NFL really put the kibosh on that pretty quick. Um, no fun league. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But I would love to see Randy Moss in Green Bay. I think the entertainment value would be great. I think he was a guy that Green Bay fans probably didn't like when he was a member of the Vikings, but he was a guy they always respected. You know, he's, he's a guy that people, he's an all-time favorite player for a lot of people, even if they're Green Bay fans or Bears fans or Lions fans. Like he's, he's just a likable character, and he's a guy that, if you're a fan of a team, as long as it's not too much of a distraction, I think you want around because he's, he's just fun.
1: Exactly, and I, I just think you, you are talking about a generational talent, a guy who is headed to Canton, I think 2018 is when he's eligible. If he doesn't come back, I mean that's just the type of player you have. What he has left at age 38 after two full seasons away, obviously debatable, but worth kicking the tires. Absolutely.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I don't. What has he been up to really since since retiring? Obviously, he's been doing some NFL Network work. I think he owns a. Uh, I don't know what the series is called, but he owns like a NASCAR truck series team. Really? He does. I know he did at one point hmm. within you know within the last five years. I'm not sure if that's still going, but I think it is. So, you know, he's keeping himself busy, and that's always good. Yeah. I mean,
1: it'd be a great story at the very least if they just brought him in to take a look.
2: Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and just the circus that it would be for one day if he was there for a physical would be would be worth it for me.
1: So we should move on to the second biggest news, item. I, I wanted to lead with this, and I think you maybe talked me out of it. Uh, Brian Hoyer is apparently better than Ryan Mallett, and he's going to be the Texans' starting quarterback when the games begin to count. He's familiar with the Houston offense. He's, he's worked with Bill O'Brien before in New England. He's got some interesting weapons. DeAndre Hopkins, of course, is the top receiver. Uh, Cecil Shorts and Jalen Strong. I mean, this, this is not a team that's going to throw it a ton, But at the same time, if you're in a two-quarterback league, I think whichever one of Hoyer or Mallett is playing at any given time is probably better than a handful of quarterbacks at the bottom. So once you get to bye weeks especially, you need to care about this situation in those two-quarterback formats. Beyond that, I don't know, maybe a 16-team league where everybody that has a lower-end quarterback has a backup and 24 quarterbacks are owned as a result. Maybe in leagues like that, there's some ownership there. Uh, So what do you think about this situation? Is this one where... You like Hoyer more than like Derek Carr and guys like that, or is is it really kind of just you know what he is, and you're not crazy about what the Texans' passing game's going to do overall?
2: I think that pretty much sums it up right there. You know what Hoyer is eight interceptions over a four game span towards the end of last year, and yes, he was with the browns, and that was a pretty dysfunctional situation you know <laughs> in the back half of that season, but I mean he does have the weapons that's what you know that's what he has going for him over. You know, a guy like Derek Carr, and you know he has Amari Cooper, but we're still not sure what we're going to see from him as a rookie until we get to the regular season. DeAndre Hopkins is a proven commodity. Cecil Shorts, obviously a fan favorite with the Jags. He comes over to (laughs) a a little bit of a better situation. Then Jalen Strong's kind of the the wild card coming out of Arizona State, a a little bit of a do-it-all, poor man's Percy Harvin type of guy. Um, So the weapons are there. It's just a matter of whether Brian Hoyer can get the ball to their hands efficiently, um, it just sounds like to me that they're they're not confident in this decision, and it wouldn't shock me if Ryan Mallett comes out on Week Five after they start out one and three. You know, um, Mallett started Saturday night's game against Denver, a fourteen to ten loss in which Houston really was unable to move the ball. Um, and it to me, it just kind of sounded like reading the write up from that game that the coaching staff just basically was so disappointed and frustrated with Mallett that they that they just gave the job to Hoyer, not because he played well, but because he played less bad.
1: That's that's always, a in, in any walk of life, if you're coaching any team or leading any sort of group, and the person you expect to be in charge of something or the person you expect to start at the position, if they just disappoint you so much that you go to the next option, regardless of what that next option is, that's a horrible place to be. Uh, it, this has been a, an ugly quarterback battle since day one. I don't think either quarterback has really separated himself all that much i'm a little surprised they made this announcement now but at the same time i guess you want to have some continuity you want to have clarity if you're on that team you want deandre hopkins to get extra reps with hoyer you want everyone in the offense to be comfortable with the quarterback i'd be shocked if it didn't change hands at some point i think our, our colleague chris Benzine asked if we'd see tom savage play quarterback at all this year i think it would take two injuries for that to actually happen i think it's hoyer and mallet clearly kind of 1a 1b Uh, whereas Tom Savage is just the third guy. And if he's playing this year, things have gone terribly wrong. But thinking about Houston in the context of the AFC South, and again, those two quarterback leagues, I don't think the Colts' defense is any good. I think the Jags' defense is improving, but still one you can throw against. And the Titans are just trash. Like, they're just one of those horrible teams that I'd play pretty much any quarterback against if I'm streaming in a bye week or, or dealing with those deeper league situations. So, situationally speaking, you know the efficiency, especially in division, being on the Texans, not having to go up against that Houston defense, it's a pretty favorable job to have.
2: Right, you're getting six games a year against three of probably the, or I guess two. I mean, not not Indianapolis. Obviously, they're they're expected to be good. But Jacksonville and Tennessee, you know, probably two of the bottom five teams in the league. And it, you look at this division, and it, I think after the Arian Foster injury, and now you have Brian Hoyer starting for Houston, it's just a mess. I think Indianapolis will easily run away with the division. They'll probably get to 11 or 12 wins. But after that, if it's one of these teams has to win five or six games. And I don't like the prospects of any of them getting there, but somehow it's going to have to happen just simply because how the schedule works out I mean, what who do you give the upper hand to between Houston, Tennessee, and Jacksonville right now, just from a pure wins perspective? I think
1: it's Houston. I think the defense could be so good. I mean, even if they don't get Clowney back, Vince Wilfork on the inside, kind of an overlooked pickup in, in many regards. Like he's going to do some damage on the inside of the line. J.J. Watt is unstoppable right now. And then if you add Clowney to that, that pass rush is going to be perhaps the best in the league. I mean, that's what they have upside-wise there. It's going to be a manage, uh a situation where the managing the game is so just critical for whoever's playing quarterback. Whether it's Hoyer all year, whether it's Hoyer Mallet in some combination, or uh, the Hoyer Mallet apocalypse happens, and, and Tom Savage not turning the ball over is going to be critical. This is a team that can win low-scoring games, and Alfred Blue I think has looked a little bit better this preseason than he did it throughout last year. Does that hold up when the games start to count? I really don't know. I think that's going to be a major issue for them too. Is if they can't run the ball effectively. They may become very one dimensionally uh, offensively, and, and it may be a downgrade for DeAndre Hopkins. as soon as As soon as Arian Foster went down, I saw people in the industry just immediately bumping up DeAndre Hopkins, and I just thought the quarterback situation for me is too weak to lean on that extra volume as a good thing. You know, especially with Foster being down, I just think that having a running back who can get you four and a half yards per carry, who can be the guy you turn to in the red zone, that goes a long way towards making a below average or mediocre quarterback look a lot better.
2: Right. I think the thought process there is, you know, the running game won't be as yeah, as strong as it was going to be. So we're just going to end up throwing the ball more. And maybe that makes sense in, you know, looking at it at a micro level, but if you can't run the ball, you're not going to be getting as many first downs. So you're, you're going to be limiting your snaps overall. So Yeah, losing a guy like Foster for a team that's already pretty shaky offensively, I think is not going to help that receiving core whatsoever. I think it's just going to kind of hurt the offense as a whole, prevent them from moving the ball as easily, and just you know preventing the overall snap count and you know by way target count for those receivers.
1: Yeah, I completely agree with that. I mean, third and long could be a common place in that Houston offense, and do you want Brian Hoyer having to air it out on third and long?
2: No, I actually don't, believe it or not. <laughs> Shockingly, uh, no. Do you think the Texans are just kind of, I mean, they didn't, neither of these options are great. Ryan Mallett's not a good option. Brian Hoyer's not a good option. But Hoyer's probably the safer option. Do you think that's kind of their perspective where they look at Tennessee and see a rookie quarterback there, a rookie who's albeit looked very good in two preseason games, but still a rookie, and then Jacksonville? a second year quarterback who struggled quite a bit as a rookie 11 touchdowns to 17 interceptions they're expecting a big leap from Bortles this year but who knows if that's going to happen did they look at this and say you know Brian Hoyer might just be good enough to keep us on that that short tier ahead of Houston and Jacksonville to the point where you know maybe we can eke out a 7 and 9 8 and 8 season on the back of our defense
1: yeah maybe they think they can be like the early 2000s ravens exactly. i mean that's probably the best they could do and, and it was a little surprising they didn't take a quarterback in the draft Uh, back in in April but at the same time when you look at the class it was very top heavy of course with Winston and Mariota going one two Uh, would Bryce Petty be their best option right now debatable Garrett Grayson probably not I mean Brett Hundley no so this was a a bad year for a team that needed a quarterback in the draft and I think this is going to be something that the Texans have to address in some capacity going into 2016 but they may be good enough defensively and they may be good enough if they get Arian Foster back at some point during the year. Like that that could be a huge boost to this offense as a whole. It could make the quarterback play even better having him to lean on.
2: Exactly. And I, I think they definitely will be targeting a quarterback next year in the draft. And obviously we're we're looking way ahead here, but it looks to be a little bit deeper of a class, at least. You know, if Cardell Jones comes out, he's probably a top five guy. Who knows if that'll end up happening? Who knows, you know, if he'll end up even starting for Ohio State this year. Um, and then you have Christian Hackenberg and Connor Cook. So three Big Ten guys that are you know, possibly top five and for sure probably top ten, top 20 prospects. So you know, Houston could have their choice of some pretty decent signal callers. And then, like you said, it was probably good on them to wait. You know, they, were, they knew they needed their quarterback this past offseason, but... You don't want to go the Jaguars-Vikings route and reach for a guy like Blaine Gabbard or Christian Ponder, and you know we saw how those worked out.
1: Right. I mean, it was we knew, we knew going into the end of last season that any team needing a quarterback was in a bad way, and I think it's a better decision to go short-term veterans for a year than to take the wrong young guy and then think he's the guy and play him for two or three years. It's a bigger setback for your franchise to make a mistake at that position with a young guy than it is to make a mistake with a veteran.
2: Yeah. I mean, as a Jags fan, you're preaching to the choir there. So <laughs> absolutely. All right. Uh, some quick hits, uh, a couple of injury notes, uh, mostly minor notes that we'll get into before we start breaking down the games from this weekend. Nick Toon suffered a high ankle sprain, might not be ready for the start of the season for New Orleans. Does this kind of leave that wide receiver three spot open at this point? You know, Brandon Coleman's kind of received a lot of hype during the preseason, hasn't necessarily produced on the field. And then uh, Sean Tavius Jones is listed as, as their fifth receiver on the depth chart. Obviously a very elite name there. We'll see if that translates to elite production. Um, I mean, do you still like Toon as the guy to, to take the spot if he's healthy? You
1: know, I think it's one of those jobs that could flip while he's out because Brandon Coleman is really intriguing. 6'6", 225, huge target for Drew Brees. I think that could really leave... Nick Toon in a vulnerable place if Coleman can step in and produce it anywhere near the level that's expected. This is another offense where there are a ton of targets up for grabs. Brandon Cook's the new number one there. Toon, definitely a good run blocker. Still remains to be seen if he can be a steady contributor in that passing attack. Uh, Marcus Colston, been a little bit banged up here uh, through training camp and now into the last couple weeks of the preseason Uh, He was on the PUP list earlier with an undisclosed injury, but really that seemed to be the Saints just trying to limit the wear and tear. So if you're looking at Brandon Coleman right now, I think it's got to be like a 14-team league where you start three receivers where I'm rolling the dice on him. Uh, If it's a more shallow league than that, just one of those players you want to watch very closely through the end of the preseason and in week one. Uh, Because if he's getting targets, he immediately becomes a waiver wire consideration in those shallow formats where he's available.
2: Another NFC South guy, Roddy White, will undergo surgery to clean up his elbow. He's expected to be ready for Week One. Probably won't play in Weeks Three or Four. But sounds like a pretty major, or uh, excuse me, pretty minor um, operation. He's going at age thirty three. Can you really expect much from him? Put together a pretty solid season last year. Eighty catches on one hundred and twenty two targets. That was top thirty in the league, um, and it was seven touchdowns. I, I think I'm personally expecting a little bit of a rebound from this out, or uh, Atlanta offense. Excuse me, after a very disappointing season um I, mean, I, I at some point he has to tail off right
1: yeah it, it's going to be i think a somewhat gradual decline though because with julio jones playing on the opposite side opposing defenses have their hands full trying to worry about him they haven't ever really figured out a way to replace tony gonzalez and that's a, a those are big shoes to fill i mean one of the best tight ends of all time but i think the target volume should still be there and What White was able to accomplish last year in 14 games with the 80 catches on 125 targets, seven TDs, it's actually pretty impressive. And and what I really like is that he was still getting big plays. I mean, 14 of those 80 catches for 20 or more yards, that's usually the first sign that something is slipping. Uh, He's never been a great YPT guy, yards per target, generally a little bit on the lower side of what you want because the volume is so high. So I think his decline will be a graceful one. I'm not too worried about this injury. You do just worry about other ailments like the hamstring and ankle stuff from last year. The hamstring in particular, soft tissue injuries become more problematic for players as they age. They don't require as quickly. But the thing I really like about Roddy White, he's very candid about when he's not going to play. He said, if I'm not practicing Friday, I'm not playing. Like He's, mm-hmm. he's very clear about that, and that's held up so far. So at least he's not one of those guys who's becoming you know, early career Anquan Bolden where he always had those late games, always had the quad hamstring problems. He was always questionable, and you didn't know for sure until 75 minutes before kickoff he was actually going to play, and then you were also worried that he might leave a game early. It seems like Roddy White's a lot more cut and dry about his health.
2: A lot more fantasy-friendly, that's for sure. Justin Hardy, fourth-round pick, and Leonard Hankerson, a Miami guy, I think he was uh, drafted maybe 2012, something like that, are the two guys you know kind of fighting for that wide receiver three spot behind Julio Jones and Roddy White. Is there anything about either of those guys that really stands out to you?
1: Yeah, Hankerson, I mean, I like him the most, of the bunch. Different type of player than Harry Douglas, who left the free agency. But uh, Man Bear Puig and I were talking about him on Friday. We're pretty excited about what Hankerson could bring to this Atlanta offense. He's a bigger target at 6'2", 211. Uh, had top-end speed coming out of Miami. Not a nice sleeper, even if everyone were healthy. Now with White being a little bit dinged up with this elbow ailment, I think you bump him up a couple spots and make him maybe that last receiver you take
2: yeah he's a guy that never really caught on with washington kind of injuries here and there just just never really broke out but big numbers at the college level um so a guy definitely to keep an eye on rg3 returned to practice on sunday just three days after taking a beating against the lions on thursday night why 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 is this even if, if, i mean i don't know what the clearly it wasn't a very severe concussion that he suffered <laughs> right but i mean he's, some of those hits he's taken and and how poor that offensive line has been you know Is it really necessary for RG3 to be back at practice this soon?
1: No, it's not. But I I think you're you're looking at a guy who's trying to really salvage his own market value. So I I wonder how much of this is his desire to prove to everybody that he can be a very good quarterback in this league and how much of this is Washington being Washington. You know, the Redskins to me are the most dysfunctional organization in the league. They have have somehow passed the Raiders. Like they have gotten to that level. They have ascended to... The status of worst franchise in the league. Ownership obviously being a big part of that. Love that from day one they labeled this as a minor concussion. It doesn't seem like any of the coaching staffs he's worked with now in Washington have really been sympathetic to any of his injuries at any point. I mean, Mike Shanahan rushed him back from the ACL uh, injury earlier in his career clearly wasn't right for the first half of that season, if not longer. Uh, I think it's it's kind of sad because, in in some ways, you feel like the fan base has gotten pretty irritated with him. He hasn't been the player he was as a rookie, but I think the organization's culpable for a good chunk of that, and it just doesn't seem like he's Jay Gruden's guy. So even if he's healthy and starting the year as the team's quarterback, I think his threshold for getting a hook in favor of Kirk Cousins or. Uh, colt mccoy it's it's not going to take much for him to lose that job even if he's healthy it's going to take one or two bad games and suddenly you're going to have a quarterback controversy controversy in washington again
2: it's easy to forget that rg3 won the mvp or the mvp the rookie of the year over andrew luck which just seems like forever ago at this point that he was playing at an elite level and do you think he's his career is salvageable at this point and obviously he's still very young so you know maybe that's pushing it a little bit but does he need a change of scenery? Is it salvageable in Washington, I guess, is the better question.
1: I wonder. I, I don't think it is. I, I think okay. barring another coaching change, which would it, be his third head coach, and it'll be in, in four years if they change on the fly, that's not necessarily a good thing anyway. He needs a new place to play. I mean, t- take, think about Robert Griffin as an Eagles option. You know, if, if he were on the depth chart there, how excited would we be about him as, as fantasy players again? And you, you give that guy space and you give him a little more time. That could be pretty interesting. Uh, the interesting thing, too, that, that Mario has pointed out a few times is that in his rookie season, the Washington offense copied a lot of elements of the offense at Baylor, and they just stopped doing it. And that doesn't really make any sense. Like He can play in that system really well. I don't know if they didn't believe it was sustainable or what the issue was there, but what, what a strange team and what a strange career. It, it is interesting that he won the MV, or the rookie of the year over Andrew Luck. Uh, 815 rushing yards seven rushing tds 20 touchdowns against five picks that's the number that i'm always most intrigued by only only five interceptions in 15 games as a rookie for robert griffin but uh, tremendous negligence on behalf of the organization really throughout his time there
2: yeah and like you said just the lack of support that there seems to be for this guy who you drafted second overall you know you gave up all these picks to get him and you know, everything started out so rosy and it just seems like this new regime's kind of come in and they're just they just want r g three to fail and, and that's you know what it seems like at least from an outsider perspective they're they're giving him all these chances because of his profile where he was drafted um but it, it almost seems like at the end of the day they're just kind of want to prove everybody that he's not the right guy
1: well it's weird because his contract was fully guaranteed twenty one point one million over four years I, I almost wonder if they've kept him around this long simply because they have to pay him you know like they have this financial obligation to keep trying to use him but they don't actually want him to be their guy like it's such a strange dynamic i feel bad the people who choose to be redskins fans like you're kind of born into being a fan of a team in many cases or when you're growing up you can kind of defect accordingly based on logos that you like or players you like whatever the reason might be there's no reason for anyone under the age of 21 to be a fan of this team, like if you're 21 or younger, pick a new team because Dan Snyder's not going anywhere, and your team's going to be horrible as long as he's the owner.
2: Yeah, they remind me a lot of the Sacramento Kings of the NBA, um, where you just it's just dysfunction from top to bottom, and you have a good player. You know, they have they have DeMarcus Cousins, and it's a little bit of a, a different comparison when you have so many more impact players at the NFL level. But you know, guys are going in and out, coaches are being changed, GMs are being changed. You're always looking for that quick fix, and. Yeah, you, know, you look at the best teams in the league right now. They're not the teams that are changing coaches every two years, and because one thing goes wrong, and all of a sudden you have to blow everything up, and you're going to find this replacement coach who's miraculously going to lead you to, you know, eleven, twelve wins. It just doesn't happen like that. You need that kind of stability, and especially when you're grooming a young quarterback like RG three, it just helps to, you know, maybe maybe the coach that they have isn't the right guy, but I think at some point you have to just kind of weigh the value of stability, and maybe the coach can end up developing alongside the players. So I think the biggest thing for Washington is just a a huge, huge lack of patience, and it's really showed off these last couple years how poor they've been.
1: Amazing, too, that people haven't talked more about this, but Sean McVay is their new offensive coordinator. I mean, this is a guy who's, I think, 28 years old, maybe 29 as of January, Uh, first time as a coordinator. Uh, Actually, he was a first-time coordinator last year. We'll see if this actually works out i'm I'm thinking this is one of those organizations that turns over everything again after this year. Griffin gone, Gruden gone, whole staff gone because that's just the way Snyder operates
2: yeah, and it's it's extremely difficult to win under a mandate like that. A couple more Redskins injuries to finish out. the quick hits. Jordan Reed is yet to return to practice. He's missed nearly two weeks now, still expected back by the end of the week, and the Redskins hope he'll play in week three of the preseason. And Deshaun Jackson, he's also missed extended time, practiced on a limited basis on Sunday. Washington doesn't really seem too concerned about getting him any preseason reps, so it's more of a shooting for week one of the regular season as opposed to week three or four of the preseason.
1: He's probably the only player in that offense I'm going to have a share of anywhere this year it's because he can do so much after the catch. Like He's not system dependent. He's never been a high-volume guy. Uh, you can run short, intermediate routes with him. He catches it, just does a lot of damage after the catch. 14 catches a receptions of 40 plus yards last year by far the most I think the next closest player had eight
2: yeah it's kind of interesting how that's translated from Philly you know that's kind of how he's made his living in the NFL is just being the deep threat and it doesn't really seem to matter what system he's playing in what quarterback he's playing he just finds ways to get behind defenses do you like Alfred Morris at all coming off his third straight thousand yard season to begin his NFL career obviously he started out 1600 yards as a rookie 300 or 1300 in 2013 and then just over a thousand last season do you think that, that regression is going to continue or he'll kind of stay in that you know, 1,000 to, to 1,500 range?
1: I think that's kind of what he is. We've, we're not going to see another level from him. I think the offensive line has some issues. That's going to be a limiting factor for him. He doesn't catch a lot of balls out of the backfield. Uh, they do have a, a built-in replacement now in Matt Jones who can basically step in and do exactly what Alfred Morris does already, maybe a slightly better pass catcher too. Not worried about the job changing hands this year as long as Morris stays healthy, but as current ADP, I just find myself gravitating towards a player in a different position or simply skipping over him when he looks like the best player on the board.
2: Football season is just a few weeks away at DraftKings.com. DraftKings.com is America's favorite one-week fantasy football site where you can win enormous cash prizes every week. Last season, eight players won a million dollars in one day just playing fantasy football. Don't just dominate your season-long leagues in 2015, but also play one-week fantasy at DraftKings.com. Head over to DraftKings.com now. Enter the promo code ROTOWIRE for free entry. DraftKings.com, bigger events, bigger winnings, bigger millionaires. Enter Rodawire for free entry now at DraftKings.com.
1: You know, every time I see... The promos on TV where Jude Dinkmeyer is getting just doused with champagne on his couch as he watches. I think Marquise Wilson was the guy that put him over the top that week. Every time I see that, I'm jealous, like very jealous. I mean, like, even if I could just win a smaller contest, win like 10K in a day, that, that to me is like life changing money right there. Oh, yeah. I mean, short term life changing money, not obviously going to like set me up for good, but kill off the last of the student loans. Like, that would be probably the greatest day of my life just to have like that weight lifted because of winning on draftkings that'd be amazing
2: and whatever player won you that contest would instantly have to become your favorite player then right
1: pretty much yeah i really like it 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 wouldn't matter who it was like Mm -hmm. that would be my favorite player the guy that put me over the top to win 10k plus or a million i mean i saw actually saw drew dinkmeyer in vegas a few months later wearing a Marquise Wilson jersey not surprising <laughs> at all probably been wearing it since the day he got it right because he's just like well without this guy things would be totally different
2: is there any player who you would you'd still resent like do you have any players that you just you can't stand right now and you would you would have a hard time really appreciating them if they won you 10k
1: I see the, the, the players I really don't like are guys that I would not own it like like I don't I I, I'm still, I'm just not an AP guy at this point. Like, the price is ridiculous. It'll be expensive every week on DraftKings. I just, like, Crimes Against Children, for me, just, like, I can't stand that. That just bothers me on a level that... You're going on the record, you're anti-Crimes Against Children. I have to, just just to, just to make it clear, <laughs> I am not in favor of Crimes Against Children. They Ooh. actually upset me to the point where I will not use a player like AP this year. I, I won't have him anywhere. I won't have him in season long. I won't use him in daily. I'll just basically pretend he's not there. It, it's hard, and if you start playing moral judge of the NFL, that's slippery slope. But
2: that's having a hard time filling a team.
1: That's that's the like that's just one of those things. Where I'm like, all right, just not gonna. I'm just not gonna win with this guy. Like that sucks, puts me at a small disadvantage. But at the end of the day, like I'm I'm willing to give that up at the expense of. It just seems like the right thing for me to do. I understand other people aren't going to play that way. I understand people think I'm an idiot for thinking that. That's fine. But so like I would never end up in a situation. Where there's a player I just despise so much who would win me that money. Like, that's, I guess that's sort of like the built in benefit of that if there, if there could be such a thing. Uh, but I mean, if you think about it, like, it, it'd be weird to walk around for me, like, wearing a Teddy Bridgewater jersey. You know, like, if, if I had Teddy Bridgewater as my quarterback that week and he just had a great game and, you know, threw for 350 yards, a couple TDs, rushed one in, something like that. If he was the difference maker to wear a, a purple Teddy Bridgewater Vikings jersey, that would feel strange even if that put me over the top
2: the only acceptable vikings jersey to wear around here i think is randy moss yes right. i mean you, you see a Pepper every now and then um and it, that goes for the rest of the nfc north too i actually saw a joey harrington jersey Oof. last night like the guy was rollerblading in a joey harrington jersey so double trouble wow i i saw a lot
1: of uh joey harrington jerseys together a lot like in the ebay sense not like mm. a lot um it was amazing. It was at this uh, Saint Vinny's store, not far away from our office. They had the black one, they had a white one, they had two blues. They had kind of a throwback blue and the more like modern, like darker blue the Lions had. Right,
2: you, got, you got your Herman Moore era, <laughs> yeah, and yeah, your Charles Rogers era.
1: Yes, exactly. The Charles Rogers era one with a little bit of the black trim. Yep, yep. and they were about four fifty five bucks a piece. And I, I said, if I'm gonna buy one, I'm gonna buy four, and I'm not buying, I'm not spending twenty dollars on this today. You gotta I could Got to get the whole it. set, yeah. Right. You, you got You can't, you can't pass on the other three. If you buy one, you have to buy them all. And I wonder, have to wonder if maybe that guy you saw was the next guy that went in and saw those jerseys and took the plunge.
2: You do have to wonder that because where else would you even get? a men's Joey Harrington jersey it was in pretty good shape too I mean I hope to God he hasn't had it for the last 15 years but he very well could have
1: well these they're they're all going to be in flawless shape because if you're a Lions fan you're a self-hating Lions fan if you were a Lions fan during the Marty Morningwig Joey Harrington era you were not wearing that jersey in public or any of those jerseys so you wore them maybe at home while you watched the game you walked into your room at halftime and, and changed to a different shirt because the Lions were horrible back then and they just sat there in the closet most of the time, uh, not stained by buffalo wings and, and spilled beer and, and various other things that can destroy jerseys over the course of a Sunday when you're celebrating and enjoying life as a fan of one of the other 31 teams. I should say one of the other 30 teams because you're a fan of the Redskins. You're a self-hating fan, too.
2: Well, it's interesting to note the the life cycle of a jersey like that, too, because a Joey Harrington jersey, assuming he bought it when Harrington was drafted in what, 02, 03, something like that, probably a pretty cool jersey for like a year or two. And then it goes into the, oh you no, know, that was a really bad purchase type of years where you don't want to wear it in public, you know, for four or five years. But then now, just now, it's probably getting into the like irony phase where it's almost cool to own a Joey Harrington Lions jersey, and there are a lot of players like that across a bunch of sports. I, I have a Latrell Sprewell Timberwolves jersey, and you know that was one that at the time of the purchase looked pretty terrible, but now it's it's looking like a pretty decent investment.
1: Well. It, see, I, I like the ebbs and flows of jerseys over time because they do significantly rise and fall in value. Sometimes the the most uh, interesting arc is when a player leaves via free agency, comes back for a late career swan song, and your jersey skyrockets in value again. Because you're like, hey, this is awesome. You know, it's uh, Greg Jennings is coming back to Green Bay in 2016 as the number four receiver. Your 85 Jennings jersey is again useful or something you could actually sell and get money for because he's on the team again. And people love him again. But I actually have owned a Joey Harrington jersey. I had the white Oregon Joey Harrington jersey stitched on number and name. Um, and Wait,
2: I, where did you get it stitched on?
1: I. It was a gift. It was a gift from an ex-girlfriend of mine. The last girl I dated before I married my wife got me that as a gift.
2: Was, did she get it, this was for you as a gift while you were dating? Or wh- while we were dating, this is like was, a revenge gift. Yeah, no, this this, this Take wasn't this Joey Harrington jersey.
1: Right, it wasn't like the, the the flaming bag of crap on your doorstep <laughs> type I gift. I don't know what that is. It's, which in high like, at the time, it was like a genuine gift that was like, hey, you, you know, you really you really think this is a cool jersey? Like, I'm gonna get this for you. And looking back on it, it was like, wow, bad judgment, like terrible, terrible girlfriend for one. Cool gift at the time, but terrible jersey, terrible girlfriend. Like it, it all kind of lines up. As you see it, looking back on it.
2: How big of a Joey Harrington fan were you that your girlfriend was able to surprise you and knew you would love a per, like a custom-stitched Joey Harrington Oregon jersey?
1: I think at that time, I was uh, first year in college, just getting over. I grew up a Lions fan, and I defected at the last possible time. Again, my cutoff is like age 21. By the time you turn 21, you don't change teams. You don't change after that. It was the year the Lions were playing the Vikings. It was probably 2003, they were playing the Vikings, and they, they rallied to tie the game with like two minutes to go in the fourth quarter. And some of you guys listening, if you're Lions fans, you're going to remember this game vividly. They, uh, I think it was Roy Williams hauled in a TD catch to tie it. And uh, all they need, actually, all they needed to do was kick the extra point to tie it. And the Lions, in the most morning wig Lions moment I can recall, botched the extra point to lose. And that was the same season, if I'm not mistaken, where they were on the road for an overtime game in Chicago. They won the coin toss and decided to have the wind at their back. It was like a 20, 25 mile an hour wind. They passed on the, having the ball first in overtime under the old overtime rules where a field goal would have won the game. And of course, the Bears got the ball, kicked a field goal and won. And I was actually... I vividly recall this. This is the same girl who got me the Joey Harrington jersey. I was going to pick her up while I was listening to that game. I was sitting in the driveway with the car in park. I heard them defer the ball in overtime. And I recall throwing haymakers at my steering wheel. I was punching my steering wheel. I was so angry because it was such a stupid thing to do. Now, I realize since then I've calmed down quite a bit. I don't, I don't throw punches about football anymore, fortunately. It's growth, right? You grow up a little I still do stupid things, but not that stupid. And it's just one of those moments where you say, okay, I'm going to presumably watch football for the rest of my life. Every Sunday, I'm going to make a priority to to watch this because it's just what I do. I I love watching this game. Do I want to feel like this every week for the rest of my life? Do I want to be agonizing the stupid decisions made by a team that can be no better than a six-win team at that time? And now they've, they've scraped into the playoffs, I think, once or twice twice since then and the answer to that was resounding no and i'd lived in wisconsin since i was in eighth grade so i'd been here long enough to to see everyone around me enjoying football on a totally different level as packer fans and it was that season where i said okay enough's enough like stop being the idiot lions fan in wisconsin like grow up and root for the local team because your life will be better if you go down that path
2: yeah i've accepted that too i was born and raised in Green Bay and have been a Jaguars fan for as long as I can remember. But these last four or five, six years, just essentially since coming to Madison, you know, freshman year, five years ago that you, like you said, you see the enjoyment that people get out of football while I'm sitting in my dorm room, you know, watching a crappy stream of, I don't even know who was running the ball back yeah, then. Boris Jones, Drew. Yeah,
1: you're watching MGD, MGD on like Justin TV.
2: Yeah, exactly. And the feed's going in and out. Everybody else is in the, the dorm room den cheering on the Packers. I think they probably went, who knows, 13 and three that season. Most, most yeah, likely. Just normal. Double yeah, digit so, wins, yeah. Yeah. And I, mean, I still love the Jaguars, but it's just impossible to to kind of stay away from a team that's, you know, if, if you're you're proximal to a team that wins as much as Green Bay does, and this goes for a lot of other franchises, you know, New England, New Orleans for a while too. It's just hard not to get sucked into that, and I don't think there's any shame in it necessarily. You know, it's one thing if you defect from like Minnesota to Green Bay. I think you might take some flack for that. Oh, that's a that's a
1: horrible defection if you do that.
2: That's not fa- you. You can't you can't jump ship.
1: You, like Detroit's different. Like I, I've always, as a Packer fan, I've realized that Packer fans have always looked at the Lions differently. They've always laughed at them because they haven't won at Lambeau I think since 1991. They've always had this sort of kid brother treatment. Whereas like the the actual hatred. Of the Bears and Vikings is on a totally different oh, level. Yeah. Like the nobody, Lions are just the hates other team. The Lions.
2: People just feel bad for the Lions and I think these last couple of years they felt a little bit threatened by the Lions. I mean Detroit was very good last season, but yeah, the little brother aspect is definitely there. Detroit's never really put up as much of a fight as as Minnesota and and uh and, yeah in Chicago, Chicago. But, but I also
1: think the the Warren Sapp era bucks Ooh. like irritated packer fans more than the lions ever did and the that Sav- far
2: rivalry was awesome
1: that was that was a great rivalry and I just think that team and of course Dallas throughout the the 90s and early 2000s and San Francisco in the late 90s as well like those teams all registered so much higher with packer fans in terms of punch they hated them whereas the lions were just kind of like these laughable losers
2: like yeah just take care of them and and move on all right, speaking of moving on, we should probably get into the game from this weekend. Uh, before we do that, I did dig up the old AP story on that Lions-Vikings game that you mentioned. From It was December nineteenth, two 2004. Um, and Don Molbach, I'm sure we all remember, was the one who botched the snap there and led to the extra point not being, not being <sighs> kicked. Dante had added just an iconic quote about the, about the botched snap. Said Culpepper, I feel bad for him, but I feel good for us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> just
1: just just bringing the extra pain. That's <laughs> that's lovely from Dante Culpepper. Oh, but yeah. it was a TD pass to Roy Williams, I think, that had tied that up. And oh, yeah. I I was Roy. so excited. I'm watching it at the bunker over at the old Buffalo Wild Wings on State Street, the now defunct, yep, yep. which is they've got this nice, like, really cool-looking restaurant now that I refuse to go into because there's the bunker better was places nice. to go. I, I was a fan of that. I them. liked the bunker because it was so trashy.
2: Yep. Yep, absolutely. Um... Getting into the games from this weekend, we'll start with Carolina and Miami. Um, I know you have a couple notes that you wanted to talk about from this one, so I'll kind of hand it off there.
1: Yeah, Damian Williams looks like he's really become the backup to Lamar Miller. Got a couple TDs in this one, had a lot of early snaps. Uh, Jay Ajayi has been banged up, hasn't really impressed his coaches, hasn't had a chance to to do that yet. Uh, Really just one of those things where if you're looking for late running back depth in a deeper league, Damian Williams is the guy. On the other side of this one in Carolina, Cameron Artis Payne, uh, hasn't really built what I would call a hype train yet. It's maybe like a like a hype raft or a hype wagon. Uh, hasn't not upgraded the train status. I'm interested, though, four carries for 33 yards. If Jonathan Stewart goes down and he's had plenty of injury issues throughout his career, he's one of those late-round running backs you could roll the dice on and probably come away pretty happy with. We also had a Jarrett Boykin sighting in this game. Kind of had forgotten about him completely. Yet another cast-off of Green Bay that could find success elsewhere in this case especially with the injury to Kelvin Benjamin last week he hauled in six passes for 53 yards I think Carolina's at the point now they're just looking for veterans who can be viable contributors on a week-to-week basis I think Boykin versus a guy like Philly Brown they do different things but Boykin could end up taking out a larger share of the targets than you might expect if he can kind of build that rapport with Cam Newton
2: we also had a Fozzie Whitaker sighting probably a top five name in the NFL um, for Carolina one carry for four yards just wanted to make sure we noted that uh, the leading rusher, just glancing at the box score for Miami, six carries, 45 yards for LaMichael James. Is this a guy that at all intrigues you after a, an e- extremely uh, stellar college career at Oregon? You know, comes in as a second rounder, drafted by the 49ers in 2012. I think he played a total of 15 games over three years with the Niners, played two games for Miami last season, just hasn't made an impact almost whatsoever at the NFL level. Are you ready to write him off?
1: Yeah, I think i at this point. I mean, maybe the system in Miami, just getting accustomed to that will will help, and he'll have some kind of role, third down role, occasional screen out of the backfield, or special teams contribution. I, I just for his as explosive as he was at Oregon, I thought we'd see a lot more from him in San Francisco. And maybe just the depth chart there and the style of that offense didn't fit him. For at least for the draft consideration, I, I think he's buried for me. Maybe a guy that if something were to happen to Lamar Miller, I'd become intrigued by it, but I need to see it before I start to buy in again. He's the kind of guy that, you know, I gave away that Joey Harrington jersey somehow. It's probably been since purchased and worn hundreds of times. Uh, I, I think if I were going to get a new Oregon jersey, I'd probably go back to the LaMichael James one, because he sort of defines this recent era of Ducks football. I mean, you could, De'Anthony yeah. Thomas, maybe I, could be I'm going to throw
2: a Dennis Dixon there. I think he Dennis was, Dixon. Dennis Dixon is probably one of my all-time favorite college players, and he. I think he was really the guy who turned the tide. They, were, I mean, <laughs> they were on track to maybe play for the national title that season. That I think he was a junior or senior, and then tore his ACL. I think later in the conference season, and and they ended up kind of derailing there. But yeah, I mean, so, they've had so many names, and they're just a team that every every year seems to have a couple of those guys that you just really really like as a fan. And I think the uniforms probably have a lot to do with that. I
1: hope that without. Marcus Mariota, there's still that appointment Saturday night game to watch. I hope that's I think still they what will they can be. do.
2: I think they will be. The Pac-12 is going to be so deep this year, though, honestly. I think all those teams are going to be a lot of fun to watch. Arizona, Arizona State, and obviously, hopefully, USC can finally get back to where they were a decade ago. College football is
1: better when they're a good team. I, 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 I they're, love the, USC. They're a great villain. They're they one are. of the they're great villain teams that if you did not go to school at USC, if you're not a fan of that team, you actively root against them about as hard as any team in college football. They're probably like a top three villain in college football when they're playing well
2: if you didn't love reggie bush in 2004 uh, did you love football i don't know
1: he's the best college football player i've ever seen and i think
2: it's not even close as far as i shouldn't say that i guess i didn't i didn't watch a lot of the you know barry sanders guys like that who came before him but i actually just recently watched i think somebody tweeted out his like usc highlight tape last week and it you don't see anybody doing things like he was doing it was crazy and I mean, there have been a ton of really good running backs and, and guys who you know, kind of fit that profile of an all-purpose back but they they just didn't compare to like the kind of agility that he had it was never I've never seen anything like it
1: it was amazing to watch at the time and again my era of watching college football and really absorbing the quality of the players is more like the last 15 years so if I say greatest I've ever seen I'm talking about the last 15 years Tim Tebow probably top five in that list too I mean a guy that was just pretty much unstoppable at Florida running that offense but Reggie Bush off the charts as a college player
2: timmy chang you know i think the, the, great, the, the great timmy hawaii chang in college
1: fantasy man yeah. i wish i was playing college. i wish daily fantasy existed in the timmy yeah. chang era that guy could oh, sling right. it yeah cole it brennan
2: done. too oh yeah that hawaii team was so much fun to watch but that was that was kind of a one-year wonder and they got to the sugar bowl and just got annihilated <laughs> by georgia um second game we want to talk about eagles 40 ravens 17 uh harbaugh basically came out uh, on sunday and said that the ravens were not ready at all for what that eagles you know the fast-paced eagles offense obviously it's the preseason not not a ton of stock to take in that that final score um did anything stand out for to you a lot in this game
1: terrell suggs going knee hunting on sam bradford and then saying well if you're going to run the read option with your quarterback who's had two acl surgeries that's on you i don't think that necessarily means you should be diving into players knees i know a lot of times when Defensive players hit a player low. They have someone trying to block them that kind of hits them, shoves them lower, and then the tackle comes in lower than it should be. In this case, Suggs just went low. It looked pretty dirty on the replay, but I'm sure Ravens fans will send their hate accordingly on Twitter. Uh, Sam Bradford looked a little rusty on a few of those throws. He went 3-5 of for 35 yards, but both Ryan Matthews and DeMarco Murray scored in this one. Nelson Aguilar had four catches. He continues to impress, and another former Oregon Duck, Kenyon Barner, Another big play on special teams, 68 yards on a punt return, taking that to the house. He has been explosive for this Eagles team so far in the preseason.
2: Yeah, and and obviously he's a guy that you're going to be, it's going to be tough to target from a fantasy perspective, but yeah, it's kind of good to see that this Philadelphia team is getting to where they need to be from a special teams perspective, and that's something that Chip Kelly was always, you know, emphasizing at Oregon. They were consistently one of those teams that you you knew had guys like De'Anthony Thomas, Barner, Michael James, who could bring back a kick or a punt at any time, so I think it's just it's a dynamic that often kind of gets glossed over, I think, in the NFL. Um, kick returning, especially, you know, with the new rules, it, it seems like everything's a touchback at this point. But punt returning is still where you can make an impact. And, and like I said, Barner's probably not worth much of a look in, in most fantasy leagues, but his upside definitely comes in the return game.
1: Yeah, if you had some kind of league where return yardage was highly valued to the point where return specialists were c- right. targeted, then in that case, sure. But I think if you know something were to happen to both DeMarco and Murray, and ryan matthews which given their respective injury histories isn't totally out of the question he might be a guy that could come in and kind of work in tandem with darren sproles and, and do something so just kind of interesting to see him make a lot of big plays and really seem to fit well so far in philadelphia
2: yeah and he kind of fits that darren sproles profile five nine, 195 definitely the the water bug type of back that can get lost in it among the the offensive line and just kind of squared out and outrun just about anybody in the league so a name to keep an eye on for sure um Nothing too noteworthy from a quarterback perspective in this game. Sam Bradford only attempted five passes. Uh, Joe Flacco saw limited time, three of seven. Two picks, though, for Flacco. So a little bit of a lackluster effort there, but again, it's the preseason. Nothing to put too much stock in. Bryn Renner was the leading passer for the Baltimore Ravens, and Mark Sanchez, the leader for Philadelphia, 14 of 20, 118 yards there. Um, Anything else from
1: this game? No, I'm going to go Google Bryn Renner, though.
2: Yes, please do. Chicago and Indianapolis, uh, another game from Saturday's slate, I believe. Yeah, it was Saturday. It was Saturday. Okay, I'm having trouble loading my my ESPN page here as we record. Bears 23, Colts 11, a little bit of an odd final score there. Uh, limited time for both Cutler and Andrew Luck. Jay Cutler looked good, though, 8 of 9, 69 yards. Um, 13-yard rush where he got lit up pretty good there but near the goal line lost the lid yeah pretty much Jeremy Langford nine carries 80 yards for Chicago um I mean this is a guy that we heard about kind of creeping up on Kadeem Carey to take over that second running back role behind Matt Forte and I think from the looks of it right now he's right there if, if not close to surpassing Kadeem Carey
1: yeah the Toyota Camry of NFL backs um Matt Forte I think he's he's maybe in danger of starting to, to break down physically he's taking on a pretty heavy workload he's been able to stay very healthy which ultimately puts more wear and tear on you would like to see the Bears maybe find a role for Langford I think he is the next best option there I know Kadim Carey has been playing earlier in games than Langford to this point in the preseason uh, might be a guy that you just keep an eye on and week four week five you could see the carries possibly shift behind forte uh, i think he's the kind of guy that could actually step in and make an impact whereas Carey, to me would be just like a short-term fill-in until langford's up to speed in the offense colts didn't do a ton in this game but i was watching the highlights i like the way they're using andre johnson i know he converted uh, two-point conversion from andrew luck in this one they're using him out of the slot I think it's easy to take a player like Andre Johnson and and find the faults. He doesn't score a lot. Injuries become a problem for him. But moving out of Houston into Indianapolis, even having to share targets with more players, he's so good after the catch, piles up so much yardage. I think in PPR leagues, he may be worth going after as that second receiver.
2: Yeah, I, I think so, too. I, you, Like you noted, his ADP is a little bit higher than it probably should be right now, especially for a guy who's up there in age, transitioning to a new offense. Just a lot of unknowns. And you know he's going from a pretty bad situation to a pretty good situation. Obviously, a major, major upgrade in quarterback. So he has that going for him. But yeah, I think you, you don't point to this as a situation where you're worried about it being very volatile as far as a transition, but it's still a transition nonetheless. So, yeah, I think that's something you have to take into account. NFFC is going 20th among receivers, about roughly 40th overall in most drafts as far as ADP. So right around the range of Golden Tate, Keenan Allen, Amari Cooper, Sammy Watkins, which seems a little bit high. Yeah,
1: I mean, that's kind of where we're, we expect Devontae Adams to end up uh, once this Nelson news becomes completely official. And I think what it takes for me to go after Andre Johnson is a slide, maybe... 10 spots or so in adp if he falls around he's the kind of guy that i'll feel like i'm getting pretty good value with if he's a little cheaper than that current adp
2: all right new england and new orleans the jimmy garoppolo show rolled through the superdome patriots 26 saints 24 garoppolo was really the story in this one um 28 of 33 269 yards one touchdown one interception what were your takeaways there
1: Nice to see him uh, keep the high completion percentage, only make the one mistake with the pick, so that that's a really encouraging sign. I think my my concern as I kind of loosely track this Tom Brady uh, appeal is just that the judge in that case seems to be very annoyed with the league, as he probably should be, given what we know at this point, and it just makes me wonder... If Jimmy Garoppolo is actually going to even play a snap that counts this year, you know, like I, I kind of liked him as a, a, a short term fill in a guy that if you just took Brady in your draft, you'd simply handcuff and, and get through the first few weeks while Brady was suspended. But increasingly, I'm under the, the idea that maybe Brady just avoids a suspension altogether here and, and the judge simply decides that this suspension does not hold.
2: Yeah, I'm only kinda of loosely following this as well and as, as I think most people are. It's almost like the coverage has gotten it's like super saturated the market where it's impossible to keep up because there's so much coverage on so many platforms at all times. Um but yeah, it, it's interesting how it shifted because for a while there it looked like you know, Brady was going down, the four game suspension was gonna be what it was. It seemed like the appeal process was somewhat risky for him and then, you know, a week later now it, it looks as though the suspension could be reduced or even wiped out altogether. So it it's definitely a fair question to wonder whether Garoppolo is going to be needed, but did he show enough in this week two preseason game to to tell you that if Brady misses two, three, four games, the Patriots are going to be okay?
1: Yeah, I think they would hold their own. I think they'd go with a more ground-heavy attack. I mean, they won't have LeGarrette Blunt in the opener, but I think with Jonas Gray and James White and Deion Lewis or whatever cast of characters they decide to use at running back, they're going to be able to move the ball effectively enough on the ground to really limit what he has to do. And I think just having Rob Gronkowski as a security blanket, as a quarterback, can make a very average player look a lot better so if you're trying to compare them to other potential week one starters I mean if you're thinking in like an early value meter setting if Garoppolo were to start that game against the Steelers I'd be more comfortable using him probably even than Joe Flacco at this point I just I'm really concerned about that Ravens offense I think they're going to miss Torrey Smith at least until the Prashad Perriman gets up to speed I'd probably use him over guys like Dalton and Carr and Alex Smith and Nick Foles so um, probably a starter for some people in those 14 team leagues
2: what about Brandon Cooks? Uh, another big game for him. Four targets, four catches, 117 yards, and a touchdown, uh, 45-yard touchdown. Another one of those guys kind of in the Deshaun Jackson mold, a little bit of a slighter build, but one of the faster guys in the league. Great hands at, at kind of taking the top off that defense. Um, yeah, you know, are we underrating Drew Brees as as a quarterback here and what he can do for a guy like Cooks?
1: Yeah, I think for as much as people like Cooks, it's surprising that Drew Brees' stock has fallen. Uh, and I know that the Saints' offense didn't have quite the same look throughout all of last season as we've come to expect, but I think the health of Jimmy Graham was a big part of that. And with Graham gone, they have a lot of targets available. Maybe that's where that downgrade's coming from. There, people are worried about what this team's going to do in close because for all of Cooks' strengths. He's not a large receiver, so maybe they're going to struggle inside the red zone. But Josh Hill, who hauled in a TD catch in this one, he's the replacement at tight end, at least in the red zone, you'd think. I think that's a good option for Breeze, And I do feel like Breeze is being undervalued. I wonder why people are taking Emmanuel Sanders and T.Y. Hilton ahead of Brandon Cooks. Like I know you're paying sticker for a guy who's never done it, but this to me just seems like a plug-and-play sort of situation for Cooks, that if healthy... I mean, being the 11th, 12th receiver off the board may actually look kind of silly in hindsight. Like he may have an Antonio Brown-type target volume with skills that are perhaps even more intriguing.
2: Yeah, I think this kind of goes back to Drew Brees, too. And maybe he's had, he's kind of fallen off a little bit, I guess, over the last couple of seasons, but he's still Drew Brees, and he's still one of the better quarterbacks in the league. And when you have when you're the number one guy in that offense— the targets are going to be there the yardage is going to be there and you know last season they necessarily weren't as far as touchdowns only 3 but you think that number is going to have to increase as kind of the the one a to Marcus Colston a guy who's getting up there in age a little bit more of a possession receiver uh than a speed big play type of guy like Cooks and then you look at a guy like I mean I could see him going behind Ty Hilton he's the number one guy in Indy Andre Johnson coming in Philip Dorsett coming in may encroach on his targets a little bit but Emmanuel Sanders I mean he was, I think he had a, a kind of a once in a career season last year in in the position that he was in as basically the third option in the passing game behind the two Thomases uh to have the kind of production that he had with Peyton Manning is is going to be very very hard to replicate especially with that Denver team probably going to take a little bit of a step back this year um so yeah I think I definitely like Cooks's upside especially over Sanders just because you he's just going to see a bigger target volume he doesn't have the the threat of Demarius Thomas sucking up targets kind of hanging over his head.
1: Yeah, maybe I'm just underestimating Emmanuel Sanders. He did have 10 yards per target last year, but that just seems unsustainable. Uh, I know his role was different than it was in Pittsburgh, but ah, I worry about the health of Peyton Manning and how much that could drop off the value of the entire offense. They've already got Ryan Clady down for the year on the offensive line. I think under Kubiak, they may have more of a balanced approach. I, I think when I look at the Broncos, I've probably passed over cj anderson more than i should and i think i've just generally stayed away so far from the pass catchers because the price just seems a little bit too high for emmanuel sanders i'm not passing over to marius thomas he's the kind of guy that gets his regardless i think it's just a matter of getting shut out in terms of ownership because in the auctions i've been in he's commanded top dollar
2: yeah and if there's a team that you look at you know an elite team in the league to take a a pretty major step back this season does it have to be denver i mean for his as much rust, or you know, maybe that's not the right word, as much decay, I guess, as Peyton Manning started showing toward the end of last season, I don't know how you can feel that great about this team. They're in a good division. Kansas City's going to be decent again. you got to think San Diego's going to be right there again. They have a bit of a tough schedule. They get Green Bay, Baltimore. Um, you know, obviously, you get Oakland two times a year, so that's nice. But other than that, there's not a game on the schedule that you really point to as a, as another cupcake outside of those two Oakland games. They do go to Cleveland in Week 6. Um, yeah, do you see Denver really falling off and maybe Kansas City emerging as the better team in that division?
1: I think it's going to be still Denver's division to lose, but I think their their margin for error has gotten a lot smaller. I think that's the, the way I look at that right now. Uh, with the Chiefs, I think they're more of like an 8-8 eight and eight type team. I think San Diego is probably their biggest threat, and Oakland should be better, but to me they're still more of like a 5-6 to six win team this year. and Maybe a team that if they can figure a few more things out, if Carr can take a progression, we're talking about as a sleeper of sorts for 2016.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, let's move on to the Giants and Jaguars, another game from Saturday night. Jacksonville 12, New York 22. A lot of field goals in this game. Josh Scoby, Jason Myers, Josh Brown getting a lot of work. Um, the lone <laughs> touchdown was a Dwayne Harris 8-yard pass from Ryan Nassib. So just big names after big names popping up in this one. Uh, Blake Bortles, 8 of 16, 98 yards. Um, Eli Manning four of fourteen, forty-six yards. So his preseason struggles continue. Uh, we'll start with Bortles, nineteen for thirty-one, two hundred and sixteen yards with one rushing touchdown over his first two preseason games. Showed a lot of mobility. Um, yeah, I've watched both of their games, all of Bortles series in full, and the increase in confidence is there. That's that's very evident. Um, he doesn't last year. He was scrambling. He was sacked a ton. He looked out of sorts. This year, he's in command. Um, the biggest thing though is just he's still he still looks like a rookie in a lot of ways there's some bad overthrows he's had quite a few drops allen robinson had a couple bad ones on saturday um but you know there there's a couple series you know where you'll see him you'll step up in the pocket make the right play make the right read but then the ball just sails over the receiver's head and it's things like that that kind of show you that i think borles is going to be a lot better in year 2 he's not going to have a, an 11 to 17 td to pick ratio but he also might not be taking that major, major leap to to the point where he can really win a team a lot of games. So maybe
1: like a guy that has 20 TD passes this year but throws 12 to 14 picks, so he's on the yeah. positive side but still makes his share of mistakes right. and – I think you're probably right I do like the mobility I think that gets a little overlooked and maybe with Blake Bortles too he'll take more of like a Ryan Tannehill sort of progression it's taking Tannehill a couple of years to get to the point where fantasy owners really trust him I know some people look at him as like a top 10 or a top 12 quarterback now but I think this is year four for Ryan Tannehill so if you look at him in that lens uh, that makes some sense I think he's probably just outside of what you want for your second quarterback in a 12 team two QB league so Uh, Maybe a guy you stream once in a while. Maybe someone you plug in on DraftKings and the price is right. He gets one of those in-division weaker opponents. A matchup against Tennessee could be a good spot for him. Or maybe a matchup against the Colts where the Colts offense can put a lot of points on the board and you get 45 to 50 attempts from Bortles as a result. But yeah, I I like the weapons he's got. If Marquise Lee can get healthy, if Allen Robinson can avoid injuries, especially... Those two guys at the top are great, but Alan Hearns can stretch the field. And this is just a group of players that once you add Julius Thomas to, you have a lot of different ways uh, you can break down a defense. Now, Thomas, of course, has that finger injury too, but I I like what the Jags are building around him, but I think you're right. You're still going to see some growing pains in year two, even if you get overall improvement.
2: Yeah, and you mentioned Julius Thomas. That's the biggest addition that they added in free agency this offseason. He's going to miss the rest of the preseason pretty iffy it start, it sounds like to start week one after breaking his hand last week um that's going to be huge for the red zone i mean bortles was 34 percent completion percentage in the red zone last year they just didn't really have anybody to go to Allen robinson probably the best athlete on the team was nicked up throughout the year and they want him to take over as that number one guy and, and he really hasn't quite shown it yet but like you said I, I don't know if bortles is quite to where you know the level you want for your second quarterback there's just too much uncertainty in the running game and too much uncertainty at receiver still even though the talent is there we're still yet to see you know, if these guys are really going to be capable of helping him out enough.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good point. And, you know, you think about TJ Yeldon missing all this time. How much does the absence uh, from the first two preseason games and a good portion of, of camp and now uh, the workout since, like how much does that impact his value in the short term? Does he get a slight downgrade or do you think it's really more plug and play? Because uh, it's a case where he should be back this Friday against the Lions.
2: I don't think he really loses much value here. I think um, Ryan O'Halloran is the the Jags beat writer, really good beat writer for the Florida Times-Union, and he basically said as soon as Yeldon was ruled out for this game, I think it was on Friday the Jags announced it, he tweeted out, it doesn't mean anything, he's their guy, Yeldon's going to be the starter week one. They hope that they're gonna be able to get him reps next week in the preseason, um, for sure in preseason week four, but it sounds like it doesn't matter. I think Jacksonville knows what they have in Toby Gerhardt and Denard Robinson. They brought in a veteran in Bernard Pierce who's just kind of there for insurance. And you don't take a guy, you know, in the high second round out of Alabama to sit him on the bench behind Toby Gerhardt. So I think I think it's his job to lose for sure. Durability maybe will be an issue. We'll see, you know, as a rookie what kind of workload they're gonna to want to give him. But Toby Gerhardt's actually looks surprisingly spry. I thought in these first two games, the per carry numbers don't look great. He's still hovering around, you know, three, three and a half yards of carry, and that's what you're going to get. But he looks healthier. The ankle issue that plagued him for most of last season seems to be behind him. So definitely not somebody you want to look to in drafts, but. I mean, from a Jaguars, you know, on-field winning perspective, I think he's actually going to be able to give them something this year, which is a lot more than you could say in 2014.
1: Curious, as uh, the resident Jags fan here, Tobinbo Gunner Gerhardt, is that the name that appears on his birth certificate or the that like, pro the football
2: name. reference page? Both. I'm sure Really? I assume it's on his birth certificate. I have not That's seen Toby Gerhardt's birth certificate. I'm surprised I you haven't there. seen that. I haven't yet. Um, but yeah, Tobimbo Gunner Gerhardt is his full name. And I talked with Mike Doria, who I do the podcast with on Friday, and I think I vowed that anytime I reference him from now on, it's going to have to be. Has, all has three to come names. Up. I, I don't see how you can't. Tobimbo? Is everybody named Toby? Is that always short for Tobimbo?
1: I, you know, I've got a, a kid, I coach high school soccer. His name is, is Tobin. So I'm going to ask him if his given name is Tobimbo. Huh. He's not going to like that question.
2: Well, I mean, it, it needs to be asked. So whether he likes it or not, we need to get to the bottom of this. Um, one more note on the Giants side from this game Odell Beckham, rece- uh, receptionless in two preseason games. Really wasn't much of a factor. It looked like Eli Manning targeted him downfield a couple times, but really kind of a guy who's being blanketed in coverage. It looked like Devon House was kind of all over him on Saturday. Obviously, he's seeing limited action. I mean, is this really anything to worry about?
1: No, I saw the latest video of him warming up before the game with his headphones on, making just absolutely ridiculous one-handed catches. I think the Giants have abs- just they have one job. Keep his hamstrings healthy. I don't care if it takes extra massage therapy Whatever it takes, treat him like the cattle that we, uh, we raised for Kobe beef. Make sure that Odell Beckham's hamstrings are healthy, because if they are, he's going to be elite again this year. I mean, the per-game production uh, from Week 8 on last year was off the charts. If he can get anywhere near that again, people are going to regret letting him fall to the middle or later part of Round 1. If he can do that again, he might be the first overall pick going into next season.
2: We already talked about the Denver and Houston uh, matchup a little bit in, in the context of that Houston quarterback battle. Battle, excuse me. You dubbed this the Kubiak Bowl appropriately. That was played on Saturday night. Is anything from this game other than we, what we talked about with the QB situation in Houston matter at all?
1: <laughs> no, I don't think it does. Apparently, the seven for eleven, fifty-two yard performance for Brian Hoyer in this one was good enough to get the job done and, and Ryan Mallett didn't meet that level so as a result Brian Hoyer the Texans quarterback but yeah Gary Kubiak's distant past against his recent past uh, and of course combined with his distant past is present since he's now the head coach in Denver but Gary Kubiak who I, I, I hope I hope things go more smoothly for him as a head coach in Denver than they did in Houston.
2: I think that's fair to say. Yes. If you're out for the evening and you've been drinking, get a ride, call a cab or find some other safe way home because getting arrested for drunk driving can cost you a lot more than an arrest and a fine. You could face legal fees, court costs, the loss of your license and much more. Right now, cops all across the country are cracking down on drunk driving and they will see you before you see them. Drive sober or get pulled over. It's time for our safe sleeper pick, sponsored by Drive Sober or Get Pulled Over. Um, A handful of us will be downing beers at our fantasy football drafts, which leads to bad decisions in the later rounds or worse decisions like getting behind the wheel afterwards. So, Derek, today's safe sleeper pick is?
1: It's Cecil Shorts for me. He's away from Duval. Uh, He's healthy right now, which is a big part of his problem during his time in Duval. And, of course, he's the number two receiver right now. And an offense that will throw enough, they're not going to be high volume to the point where you like him in PPR leagues, but he doesn't need a high volume to be useful in deeper leagues. You look at the per target numbers, throughout his time in Jacksonville. Uh, This is a guy that can make a lot of big plays. I think he's getting overlooked right now and someone that's going to cost next to nothing. Probably one of your last picks can go to Cecil Shorts and you may be surprised at what you get on a week to week basis from him Uh, as long as he can hold off Jalen Strong as that number two receiver in Houston.
2: Yeah, great memories of him in the teal and black down in Duval. All right, five more games to break down over this weekend slate. Raiders 12, Vikings 20. We're seeing a lot of just odd scores in these games. Um, Derek Carr, 4 of 8, 78 yards for Oakland. Teddy Bridgewater, 10 of 14 for 89 yards with a touchdown to Charles Johnson. Um, what stood out for you in this game? Teddy
1: Bridgewater, every time I watch the highlights of him, just looks sharp. I mean, he's got good touch on his passes, can throw the short ball, the intermediate ball, and the deep ball pretty well. I mean, the nice line overall, the 10 of 14 for 89, a touchdown to Charles Johnson. Uh, That has impressed me as I've watched him a little bit more during the preseason. Uh, It's led me to wonder if I'm choosing a Vikings receiver, if I actually prefer Charles Johnson or Mike Wallace in 2015, which of those receivers are you more comfortable with if you had to pick one for this season?
2: I don't know that I'm super comfortable <laughs> with either of them, but I've always kind of been a Mike Wallace supporter. I, I think I think a lot of people are down on him this year going from Miami to Minnesota. I, I think that's a slight downgrade. Obviously, you have the inexperience of, of Bridgewater, but he's still proven to be a pretty solid quarterback and not, not a a, you know, a huge drop-off from Ryan Tannehill. Um, a guy who caught 67 passes last year. has been over 60 in each of his last five seasons. That's between two teams with two quarterbacks. So, I like him to transition fairly seamlessly. He's 29 now, so just you know, probably getting into and right in the midst of his prime. So, I guess if I had to choose one of the two, I would take Wallace. I think I think Charles Johnson might have a little bit more upside, a little bit of a bigger guy, um, somewhat of an unknown commodity after a mini breakout in part of last season. Uh, But I'll I'll stick with the known commodity and go with Mike Wallace.
1: All right. So I guess we're on different sides of this, but I think the cost on Wallace is a little higher. So for me, it's more about just not spending as much because I think they're going to kind of make each other's weekly value difficult to predict. You're not going to have one who clearly stands out each and every week is the number one guy. I think Bridgewater is going to find the better matchup and simply exploit that. Uh, both should be good enough. Again, in a 12 team league, where you start three receivers. I think you're talking about two guys who finished the year as top 35 receivers, but, uh, uh, better weapons than usual. I think in this Minnesota offense, and if you're a Vikings fan, you have to feel a lot better about your quarterback situation than you have over the last four to five years, really probably their best option at that position since Dante Culpepper.
2: That's saying a lot really, isn't it? And, uh, and I, I think Bridgewater. I don't know if he can get to Culpepper 2002 Madden cover levels, but well, probably not that. Probably good. not. But um, but I mean, he's looked very good. I, I'm I'm personally a little bit surprised by how good he looked toward the end of last season, and you know how sharp he's looked so far in the preseason. So I'm I'm very interested to see if that trajectory continues into the regular season.
1: Yeah, I definitely am too. On the Raiders side of this one, Derek Carr made a pretty nice throw to Amari Cooper, kind of a deep ball to the the back shoulder over the shoulder. He finished four of eight for 78 yards. Uh, Cooper. I don't like him in redraft leagues. I don't like him in full-point PPR. I think there's a lot of talent there. Maybe in a dynasty league, there's reason to be excited for seasons Mm. beyond this one. I think it's going to be an inconsistent year for him. Not so much because he's a a lackluster prospect in any regard. I think he's a very legitimate number one NFL caliber receiver. I just think that Oakland passing game is going to sputter. And if they're going to be successful... It's not because they're a shootout-prone team where Derek Carr is slinging it. It's because they're running it effectively and playing better defense. Latavius Murray, I think, has really solidified his number one running back status on that team throughout this preseason. Uh, and now you've got Trent Richardson just doing Trent Richardson things again. Please never, ever change. Five carries for five yards uh, over the weekend. It's it's just you have to wonder if he's even going to make this roster at this point.
2: Yeah, and I, I'm looking at this line and looking at basically what he's done over the last two years, I like could. Is there a bigger bust from the NFL or in the NFL at the running back position in the last 10, 20 years? He's
1: got to be near the top of that list. And that's, that's hard. I mean, the, Darren McFadden's pretty high up on that list, but too. I feel like but McFadden he at least has was been good like, for a little while.
2: Like, he makes Darren McFadden look like a Pro Bowl running back. Right. That's saying a lot. Isn't that crazy? I mean, McFadden, you can kind of chalk it up to injuries. Trent Richardson's just been playing bad. I mean, after that week one preseason game, there was that, that vine or gift that was going around of. You know, wide open hole into the end zone from about the five yard line, and Richardson like runs into the back of his guard and <laughs> falls down. It's like, where, where did you learn that? You, you weren't doing that at Alabama. What, what happened since you got into the NFL? Um, even a guy like Cedric Benson, I think, was kind of the, the pre Trent Richardson, but then he was able to get to Cincinnati and reel off three straight 1,100 yard seasons. So
1: if Ced's listening to the podcast, I, I think he is. I, I, I hope. My message to you, Mr. Cedric Benson, is to find someone else to drive your boat and your car for you. That's my only—that's my plea. I appreciate your contributions to the game of football, but please do not drive vehicles for yourself. That's that's my one plea to Cedric Benson. Uh, Darren McFadden, by the way, at least had one really good season. He had 1,600 yards from scrimmage, 10 touchdowns for the Raiders back in 2010— That's what got me to buy into him for a few years after that, Mm. only to be sorely disappointed Trent Richardson never coming close to that level. So I would agree that the Trent Richardson greatest bust of the past 15-20 years, he's at least higher than Darren McFadden on that list, and McFadden at least cracks the top 10.
2: For some reason, ESPN's player page for Cedric Benson tells me that he went to Sacramento State that that's just not true at all no, i don't know why that is is there a duplicate cedric benson <laughs> I, I don't think so this sure looks like him it has all of the teams that he's played for sacramento state wow sacramento state no, yeah that, i could have sworn i remembered him playing for texas. that was that was a mac brown texas player right there I, maybe he wasn't maybe we just imagined all that um all right next game we want to talk about san diego and arizona 22 to 19 in favor of the chargers this one they're two and zero in the preseason watch out
1: They're tearing it up. Uh, This game is going to get exactly 20 seconds of analysis, if not less. Very impressive debut for David Johnson. 13 carries, 66 yards. CJ, .75K, already hurt. Probably going to miss at least a week. No Melvin Gordon for San Diego. No Phillip Rivers in this one. One of the worst games on the slate this weekend by far. But the David Johnson debut, that stands out to me. It's something to take note of.
2: And that's really about it from this game. Like you said, no Melvin Gordon after a pretty disappointing week one. It was kind of a shame not to see him out there and attempt to rebound, um, especially for us up in Badger country. You know, That was a, a game that I was kind of looking forward to. But I don't, I'm not worried about Melvin Gordon. I mean, were you, did you really come away too concerned after what looked like a pretty bad week one?
1: Well, I think with Melvin Gordon, uh, the problem they have is that if they don't like what he's doing in pass protection Right now, they have Danny Woodhead and Brandon Oliver and Woodhead can catch a lot of passes like they they don't have to use him as a pass catcher at all. And they never really used Ryan Matthews heavily in that role uh, since getting Woodhead. I mean, Woodhead caught 70 balls two years ago and got hurt in week three last year. So that I think will limit his chances to pick up opportunities in that aspect of the game he'll have time this year maybe in practice to learn those assignments better and to become more proficient in that way in uh, a dynasty league i'm not as worried about him i think it's just a very slight downgrade uh, in a one-year setting for melvin gordon just based on where the coaches are at
2: pittsburgh 24 green bay 19 we already touched on the major storyline from this game um was there anything else you really wanted to note
1: Steelers had a pretty big offensive line injury in this one with uh, Pouncy going down. He's going to mm-hmm. miss some significant time. I mean, Marquise Pouncy, their center, kind of a, a key cog there. I, I do want to see how they respond. We've seen teams like uh, Cleveland with Alex Mack. We've seen the Eagles recently with Jason Kelsey. Center injuries sometimes are not the plug and play on the offensive line. I think tackles and guards are seemingly more replaceable since centers often are like the captain of that unit. So we'll see how the Steelers uh, rebound there. Could be uh, some bad news for the running game once Le'Veon Bell gets back. Perhaps some problems in pass protection, too, for Ben Rothsberger.
2: Both Brandon Whedon and Scott Tolzien left the game with concussions. They were the two backup quarterbacks for each team. Uh, that meant that the Bruce was loose for Jeez. Pittsburgh. Briefly, Bruce Gradkowski... Uh, played a series or two i believe then ended up leaving with a finger injury of his own so a lot of quarterback or uh, three quarterback injuries in this one obviously pouncey and jordy nelson as well so not a great day for either team Uh, on the injury front landry jones ended up finishing up for pittsburgh seems like they want to groom him as as somewhat of a backup in a, in a second or third qb role but we'll see if that ended up materializing
1: yeah he may end up on the practice squad i think when it's all said and done it seemed like the games later this weekend were all kind of bad i mean the the niners cowboys game was awful like joseph Randall at least played seven carries 30 yards coming off the oblique injury uh, no Dez expected to come back this week i'm not too worried about him yet turf at levi stadium may be a concern i mean how, how is the playing surface in any nfl stadium a problem
2: I don't know. I was listening to um, ESPN radio last night while while I was working out and it was some some guy was broadcasting from Dallas so that's where he was based and they were he went on this big expose first talked about Sarkeesian and that whole fiasco which is a that's a topic for another podcast Um, but he got into you know the Cowboys game was about an hour or two from starting at this point and and Jerry Jones had apparently been very critical of the turf at Levi Stadium. I think they were, they were playing soccer there or something, and they had just replaced the—they just rolled down new turf last week, and and Jones was, you know, threatening to hold out his top players because he didn't want them getting hurt. Uh, and then I guess the Cowboys arrived and found out that the turf was totally fine, and Jerry Jones ended up profusely apologizing for criticizing the turf, um, issuing a very weird quote I want everyone to know that I hadn't done the Jones test. I hadn't got down and looked at the root seriously. Hmm. So my question to you, Derek, what is the Jones test? Is Jerry Jones the NFL's leading source of turf analysis? Does he have his own way of determining if turf is okay for Darren McFadden's hamstring?
1: You know, before he became a business tycoon, I do wonder if Jerry Jones perhaps majored like in turf management, or something along those lines. i have to dig through the bio sometime. The Jones test to me seems more like something he'd use in the court of law to defend his behavior with random women like that just seems like some kind of legal defense not something he would use Mm -hmm. to actually uh, analyze the quality of a playing surface but hey maybe 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 we just don't know Maybe he's been doing this for years and we just don't know about it
2: yeah and speaking of it from a legal perspective you know hopefully this will set a precedent now that this won't be an issue going forward you know jones versus levi's from 2015 that we can just cite from now on and then it won't be as much of an issue for dallas final game from the weekend that we want to talk about titans 27 Rams 14 another impressive day for Marcus Mariota just five of eight passing you know limited series um, no touchdowns no interceptions his in helmet microphone ended up going out on the second play of the game so there's a lot of praise I guess being thrown around for how he handled that situation Um, the Titans head coach was very uh, complimentary of how he, he didn't lose his cool when his mic went out and I think Mariota had some quote where he basically said it was like pop Warner. Yeah, I would run to the sideline, get the play, run back to the huddle. So, what perseverance from this professional quarterback, Marcus Mariota?
1: Yeah, uh, I like that he went back to the fundamentals there, didn't just uh, wing it on the fly, didn't just scream out the plays. (laughs) Right, like he he, he wanted to stay within the system. So, that's encouraging. Um, A little disappointed in the Titans equipment manager for not having a backup helmet nearby. Like, that seems like a mistake. Shouldn't to do that for more than one play. So, it's the preseason for everybody, Nick.
2: It is, it is. But good to see Mariota still looking good. Uh, He looked very mobile, throwing on the run a couple times in this one. So, again, very limited sample size. We hope to see more of Mariota maybe play into the second and third quarters later in the preseason, but who knows if that's going to happen, especially with the amount of injuries that we've seen. I think you talked about at the top of the podcast how you maybe feel that it might be time for the NFL to kind of readdress the preseason. I don't feel the same way. I think you look at an injury like Nelson, for example, anybody who's seen the highlight no contact. You know, he's probably made that catch and turn a thousand times in his career, you know, between practice and, and, you know, workouts and games, whatnot. It's just not something you can prevent. It could have happened in week three of the regular season. It could have happened in week one of the preseason. It, I, it could have happened any time. And, and I think a lot of injuries are preventable. Um, you know, you mentioned Terrell Sugg's hit on Sam Bradford. Like, you know, if that were to turn into another you know, serious injury for Bradford, then that's something you maybe have to look at. That's an unnecessary hit in a preseason game. But, you know, the type of injury that Nelson suffered, I don't know if, the, if it necessarily needs the, the knee-jerk reaction that you hear from a lot of outlets where this is what happens when we play four preseason games. It's like, you know, this could happen in week two of the regular season, too.
1: Right. Like, it happened to Kelvin Benjamin in practice. And exactly. It's exact same it's type we gonna, of injury. We have
2: to end practice now?
1: No. I mean, like, so the, the issue, I think, is more along the lines of the hits, like the one Suggs put on Bradford, right? You're exposing players to extremely violent collisions which seems like unnecessarily but the the nelson and benjamin injuries those are the type of fluke injuries that will happen regardless of what you do if you practice play anything at all that can happen non-contact acl injuries simply happen from time to time but uh, one last thought here on the titans david cobb got some chances of the first and second team good to see that uh, only eight carries for 26 yards the efficiency went down a little bit going up against better defensive players bishop sankey looked a little better I think we're talking about some kind of tandem with these two guys. I could see it being a case where Cobb has to wrestle the job away over the course of the year. Uh, but to me, it seems like he'd be the guy that'd be the lead back. You'd see him a lot on first and second down. Maybe Sankey would be the change of pace back who comes in on third down to catch some passes out of the backfield. Uh, this is a, a suddenly more intriguing Tennessee team. If they go with guys like Cobb and of course with Mariota as their starter, but also if Doriel Green Beckham, have a larger role I think that makes their offense a little more exciting
2: yeah I think they're counting on a couple of young guys you mentioned Cobb and Sankey and and DGB if those guys even if two of those three guys can really take a step this season you know this team like you said becomes a lot more interesting and they start having playmakers at the skill positions if they don't then this could be a very very long season for Tennessee again
1: it's just like the Browns like if they were to go with Manziel and Duke Johnson and let Terrell Pryor be one of their top receivers you'd you'd actually want to watch them every week but if it's Mm. If it's uh, the McCowan show every week at quarterback, and you know, Terrence West is getting more snaps than Duke Johnson or something along those lines, and Terrell Pryor gets cut, even though he's probably the best athlete on the roster, it's like that's such classic Browns and, and unwatchable on a week to week basis.
2: I'm, I'm no Browns insider, so I don't know the inner workings of these, full disclosure, uh, of these training camp battles. But, I mean, what are you going to get if you're not starting Menzel? Are you going to win? three games four games five games and if you are starting manzel maybe that maybe that ceiling gets higher and the floor gets lower but it just seems like it's worth the gamble at this point they're not a playoff team
1: if even if you are a playoff team with josh mccowan somehow how many playoff games are you going to win with him as your quarterback and to me the answer is zero you, less than you, one you yeah you will not win a playoff game with him as your quarterback maybe he's the higher floor guy but if you actually want to make an impact in january Johnny Manziel has to be your quarterback there's just no way around that and maybe he's not good enough but you don't have a quarterback who's actually that. better like prove, prove that he's not your guy this is what I'm talking about when teams can set themselves back for a few years prove this year he's not the guy so when you go into the draft this spring you address the position for good then
2: yes and and getting him sporadic reps starting him out of nowhere in week 11 to, to give him the one game test to see if he breaks through and gets a big win isn't the way to do it exactly yeah. and still some confidence in him Give him a, a sample size that's big enough to properly evaluate him, and not don't just try for the. Well, if he misses his opportunity in this week, then you know it's back to the bench for the next few weeks. It, that's just not the way. When has that ever worked out? I guess for you, know, you look at the top quarterbacks in the league, and obviously those are different situations. You know, Rogers sat behind Favre. Luck was Andrew Luck basically from day one. Um, you, you just it, it never really worked out where a quarterback has been in and out pulled back in the lineup and then turns into a star it just there's just no precedent for it
1: you also we, we don't know in the situations where play where teams waited on a player we don't know that was actually the right decision if Aaron Rodgers yeah. had just played from day one what if he'd been this good all along I mean we exactly. really don't know for sure
2: we, we really don't and you know you, you can point to him sitting behind Favre for three four years whatever it was as the reason he is who he is or you like you said he could have been great as a rookie we don't know
1: or it could have at least been like a league average quarterback who became great in year two or year three. I mean, like there's just so many different ways, and who knows how much of an impact Favre actually had on Aaron Rodgers' development. Their styles of play are totally different.
2: It sounds like he didn't really... Enjoyed the mentor. Yeah, I don't think father, he wanted a son him there. role, right? I don't. Th- yeah, I don't know if there was as much mentoring going on as maybe Green Bay fans like to think there was at that
1: time. It didn't seem like Favre was the guy who was psyched to teach the new guy how to do his job.
2: I don't know if it, it never like. There's never reports of that happening, really. I mean, not that I can remember. No. Nothing.
1: There were no stories about that. I don't, I, I, and trust I'm, me,
2: they would have been reported. The Green Bay Press Gazette would have been. They, all they over
1: would have that. ate that up. Maybe there were some. I, I would imagine if you look back back then, you'd find some stories where Rodgers would say the right thing and say, you know, Brett's been. Uh, good at teaching me how to be a professional or something along those lines and that'd probably be the extent to which you'd find a quote that even suggests that Favre was a mentor to Aaron Rodgers.
2: yeah and and, you know Favre wasn't obligated by any means to do this it doesn't mean he's a bad guy or you know bitter or whatever it is but it's just not maybe the situation that it's kind of been made out to be where you know Rogers has just been groomed by the great Brett Favre for all these years before he stepped in and took his place so there's a little bit messier I think um one final game on Monday night to close out week two of the preseason, Cincinnati at Tampa Bay, the Andy Dalton, Jameis Winston showdown. We've been clamoring for since the day Winston was drafted. Um, we'll talk about that one on the podcast on Tuesday. Thank you for listening to the Rodawire Fantasy Football Podcast brought to you by DraftKings.com, the leader in daily fantasy sports. Use the promo code Rodawire when you make your deposit on DraftKings for a free contest entry today. Also be sure to check out Rotowire free for 10 days by going to rotowire.com/pod. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with you on Tuesday and happy birthday to Kevin Cobb,
1: the NFL's Gary Sinise.
0: Napa know how-